Hey everybody, this is Brendan Hausler with Evoke Bike. Today we have the Olympian Scott Bowden on the podcast. And whether you know him from very, very, very early BMX days as a kid or running or triathlons or mountain biking or road cycling, this guy has done nearly everything when it comes to endurance activities. And he drops a lot of knowledge. He came straight off the beach in Girona and talks about what he calls his obsession about being fast. There's a lot to learn from this one. Scott, thank you so much for taking your time to do this with us and wish you all the best in the coming year. Hope you guys enjoy the show. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. I've actually just got back from uh, the beach. Oh, nice. Yeah. I went for a bit of a swim. So it's, I'm in Girona at the moment. So yeah, getting into late November and not uh not far off winter but it's never never too cold for a swim that's awesome did i read did you do triathlons at one point yeah i did actually uh but yeah i did uh, like a season when i was yeah maybe 13 14 and then again when i was 16 that's amazing so you've been an endurance athlete your entire life basically yeah yeah pretty yeah like i i've done quite a quite a mixed bag of sports um yeah, I started in BMX. Was probably the first sport I took super serious. Um, from what age was, was that? Uh, well, I think seven, maybe. That's yeah, amazing for the for bike handling. Huge. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, and like I've never I've never lost that. Um, so like now, yeah, even even on the road yesterday, like. Uh, you know that where the tree roots come under the tarmac on the road sometimes and push it up and they can create like a little double Mm -hmm. i'll still jump that on my road bike Mm -hmm. or manual at any opportunity for that kind of stuff my buddy rob used to uh we'd be riding and i used to live in upstate new york near canada so it'd be snowy icy and he'd be "Er, er," all over and it would make me nervous watching and i'm like dude you're gonna fly off that bike he's like not even close and it's just yeah in extent Bike handling is probably, if I had to rank my skills, that's at the bottom for me. So I'm always very envious when people come over from anything with handling or these Moto GP guys who are used to going ridiculously fast. And it's just really cool to have that skill with you your whole life. Yeah, I think it is. And then obviously I did mountain biking afterwards, but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, actually, I think BMX, the skills are maybe more transferable to the road in the fact that you used like from when I started BMX, I was close. I was, I became so used to rubbing elbows with people um, and just became so comfortable with that, which then when I started racing in bigger pelotons, it was, it already felt like second nature, I guess. Um, And then for the mountain bike, the skills from BMX, like, I don't know, jump like a lot of XC tracks now starting to include some bigger jumps and berms and, um like i'd say one thing with swiss mountain bikers obviously they're they're as a country i'd say they're for sure the strongest and france maybe but they don't i'd say that's what the part of the skill that they're not perhaps as strong in is like or at least in the past maybe now they're still good at everything (laughs) but um it's something that they've worked on more is like the jumping and that kind of thing that's man that's cool so then so all we really need to get you to do is some cross and track racing to really like round out the gamut of on the bike. Well, activities. 
I have I have actually I had a cross bike in 2014 briefly and I did I think I rode it five times and one was a local race one was the under 23 nationals which I which I got like I think that was the first I think that was the second ride I did on the cross bike like I rode it the day before what place did you go twice uh second (laughs) but but I I yeah and I dropped my I dropped my chain with like two laps or three laps to go and there was a lead group of four of us and then I caught back up in these final twisty like technical sections through a heap of mud um or actually I caught up at the front at the start of the corners and attacked into the corners and then had a because I knew that I was probably at best going to finish third in the sprint from those guys okay and then yeah, one of them pegged me back right on the line and got me by a wheel. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, that... and then the next, yeah, and then the next day was a like an elite national round, and the field was much bigger again. And I started on the last row because I ha- of maybe I don't know fifty or sixty guys, and I didn't have any points because I'd never done mm-hmm. one before. Um, but from being used to racing mountain bike world cups. I managed to get myself, I think, to the second row before the gun even went. And then by the time the gun went, I think I was by the first corner at like at the front. So me, so explain that. Like you just wiggled through people, you're like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. See, like No, not no, not at all. Just like everyone was so relaxed. Like at a mountain bike world cup, everyone is so everyone wants to be f- at the front and look for any way to get there and maybe now it's harder to do like maybe it's more regulated but um or at least in the smaller uci races with still big fields in europe sometimes you if someone could they would move up before the start even happened um just trying to wiggle through gaps and that kind of thing um yeah mate like i'm I don't know the exact UCI rules. And now for sure the call-ups are more structured. But Mm -hmm. in this particular field, yeah, they had the call-up, but then everyone's sort of spaced out nicely and there's sort of a bit of a gap between each row. Yeah. Just wiggle yourself up the barrier or something. Um, Yeah. Yeah, made it happen. Yeah. 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 Figure. Sometimes we tell people, like, figure it out, you know, like get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we dove in real quick. I actually was, we just did a podcast with Claudio Cucinata, world tour coach. And I was so anxious to talk to him as I was to you that we never did an intro. We did the intro last. So okay. for, for people that don't recognize your face and like, wait, who the hell is this guy that just came in second in U23 uh, cross nats? Who is Scott Bowden? And we're super pumped to have you here, by the way. Ah, uh, thanks. Uh, I am 26. I was uh, first in cycling, taking it properly serious, I guess, a mountain biker. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, from 2013 as the last year junior, I started racing in Europe, like World Cups and stuff. And then till third year under 23. So 2016, um, yeah, I was racing just on ex- almost exclusively on the mountain bike. And then, uh, yeah, I went to the 2016 Rio Olympics for, for cross-country mountain biking and actually did the road race too. 
mm-hmm. um, because the dynamics of the of cycling as a dis, as old encompassing disciplines at the Olympics countries can they they uh, qualify a certain amount of positions say thirty and Australia preferenced the track as their I guess most controlled environment to guarantee medals so they took an extra track rider I think for maybe the team's pursuit which was one less rider they could take in other disciplines so they took one less road rider and that meant that they then needed someone to fill in in a like a support domestique type role mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I did that so I was selected only for the mountain bike but I got to do the road race too and then following that yeah I've, I've been I raced on various iterations of the one uh continental team it was called uh, yeah ISO A Sports Swiss Wellness Benelong Swiss Wellness and then the Last two years, I was on a bridge lane, which is like the top Australian uh, continental team. So, yeah, raced in pretty much every continent with them. And then this year, I'm racing with a, a DN1 French team. So do you consider yourself with such a rich history of cycling already at the young age of 26? Are you, if someone quickly asks you, oh, you rode a mountain biker. A hundred percent road, a hundred percent. Oh, road wow. Now. Like, yeah. Go I mean, on. Yeah. Like I don't, actually, I don't own a mountain bike at the moment. Um, I did ride a mountain bike in sort of the last week of my off season break. I went to, across to Switzerland to catch up with a mate that I lived with when I was mountain biking and he, he's a professional mountain biker exclusively. And we went to Finale and I borrowed one of his old bikes and we went trail riding. But the first couple of days there, there's no way I could call myself a, a mountain biker, <laughs> that's for sure. But by oh, the like- end, by the end, the speed and the flow started to come back. So I'm sure, yeah, it would take a while, I think, but... And, and it's hard to know for sure, but I think I could maybe get back to an o, at least an okay level. I don't know about World Cup level. That would probably take some time because mm-hmm. I also don't know exactly what the level is there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these Swiss riders sure, are like, it's... hey, man, why are you talking trash about our bumping and rubbing? Like, we're, we're with it these days. Yeah. So this is actually the most very – we don't get many athletes that we get to watch that are that come from this mountain biking – to road cycling, obviously Sagan, Cadell Evans, there's big names that did it. But when we look down and people that we more work with, obviously are not at your level and amateurs that kind of want to do everything. I'm really curious. You've already sort of mentioned some skills that came from BMX and mountain biking that you can apply to road. You're now a hundred percent road. If you have an athlete, cause you coach athletes, don't you? Only four. So, okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's- I've, I've just started coaching a little bit more, yeah, on the side. And it's something, yeah, I really enjoy. So what do you tell someone that, that wants to do both? And maybe, so this is a huge question, obviously, because I'd be curious w- your experience, but then how do you coach them? And let's say it is more, and we're on different calendars, so I don't want to get the months. Uh, so our summer is like, you know, yeah. May, June, July, August. So say they want to go do that and they're like, well, I'm kind of doing both. Or maybe some will say I'm doing road May and June. And then I want to sort of transition to July, August. 
do you see them as the same? And because obviously there's aerobic fitness, there's a ton of overlap. So maybe we even focus more on the differences. It's a huge question. So I almost don't even know how to ask it. But when I was just reading more of your history, I'm like, wow, this guy has to have some incredible insights into multidiscipline cyclists. I think you're like the best person to ask this because you've done nearly everything. Let's open that can of worms. And I'm curious, just when I ask you that, what comes to mind? I think, first of all, I never, when I was mountain biking, I did race on the road a little bit, particularly locally, a little bit domestically within Australia, but my focus was always 100% mountain biking. Okay. And then when I switched to the road, I did plan in the first year to do some mountain biking to try and go to the Commonwealth Games, but then I got injured. And then by the time I came back, I was literally just focusing on the road. Okay. So I never juggled the two that much, but it's something that I often think of. Like now you're seeing more guys like Vanderpool, Tom Pidcock, a two that, re- and then next year, Victor Koretsky, one of the top French guys, and Milan Varda, one of the top Dutch guys. They're going to B&B, a Pro Conti team, and Jumbo Visma, respectively. So there's more guys that will be doing on like world tour pro conti road teams also racing mountain bike world cups mm-hmm. and actually another young swiss guy that will be on bike exchange who will still be doing world cups on the mountain bike okay. um so it is something i think of like how would i if i was to go back to mountain biking how would i balance that and mm-hmm. i think um maybe in some ways if if it was like an amateur cyclist it would be easier because typically typically their road races aren't much longer than three hours and a typical cross-country race is around an hour and a half so like you say the thing that stays consistent is the aerobic side of things you regardless of really how long your race is you're always maintaining some level of aerobic work Mm -hmm. that's sort of like i guess the bread and butter of all all cycling training Mm -hmm. um and when you're not racing like week-long tours as amateur cyclists, it's not so common. Um, it means perhaps your overall, at least consistent volume, doesn't need to be so high. Um, so I don't think... Then it more, I would say, comes down to balancing the time that you spend on the mountain bike um, because the skill side is so important. And also even small things like one that I noticed most going back to riding a mountain bike the other week is like um, actually becoming more familiar with getting used to the dropper and being efficient using a dropper post. And um, yeah, even you've got a, like the head angle on the bike is a lot different. So like the handling feels way different. The tires are much and the rims are much wider. Um, Yeah. The, even the, um, yeah, like the crank, actually the crank length. So I run 172.5 length cranks on the road, but they never used to make 172.5 on the mountain bike. It was 170 or 175, mm-hmm. um, which I never noticed a huge amount, but I think the biggest thing is the Q factor. It's wider on the mountain bike. And I think that you can notice. And then different pedals. So if you're not riding it consistently, I think it can take a while to get used to all of that again. Um, And I think if you want to be good at both, you need to at least be spending some time consistently on both. Mm -hmm. But I feel like one, two times a week on the mountain bike 
um, on the trails would is quite sufficient. Um, yeah. Did you choose the 170 or 175 cranks for the mountain bike? 175. Okay. Is that because of the higher torque or just felt better? I, it's something I never played around with or something that I thought about too much. I think it happened initially by default because I rode a medium bike and they typically always came with 175 cranks. So that's just, that's just what I went with. Got it. Yeah. It's interesting because the mountain bike does, you know, I always try to ask myself because me not mountain biking, that's usually one of the first things I'm pretty vocal about the fact that I don't mountain bike. Cause I don't want somebody to come to me and think I'm like ripping trails all the time. So I'll be like, Hey, just FYI, you know, I don't ride in the dirt at all. I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm good with skills. I need Watts. I'm like, okay, cool. But it becomes that thing when I ask myself, what is really this person's limiter? I was talking to one guy, he's getting stronger, but he's just continually losing time because he's not good on the trails. I'm like, you need to get off the road bike. Don't like the Watts matter. Don't get me wrong. But if you're riding with similar skilled level people and you can't keep up on the trail, you need to be on the trail. And we did a podcast with one of my old coaches who is a, he's actually one of those crazy downhill guys. And just, he had a guy come out to Boulder and he's like, man, I rode these trails with him that I thought I knew and his skill level made me rethink like all my lines and really go back to basics, like smooth is fast. And so it's always not being a mountain biker, talking to a mountain biker, trying to break down. Is it Watts? Is it skills? And where is it skill? Like what skills is it that you need to work on? So I'm, it's just always interesting to hear people uh, that have that experience. So one to two times on the trail and then you more thinking, you know, do the interval work, the aerobic endurance rides on the road bike, the other, you know, three to five times that they're riding during the week. Is that about a fair estimate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would say, yeah, when I was mountain biking, I did have power on both bikes, but I actually never, I think maybe because I was younger, I don't know, but I never really looked at it all that much. Mm -hmm. I would always do like, almost do it off perceived effort a lot of the time. And a hundred percent on the mountain bike, I definitely did because when I was doing an F I did often do it intervals actually on the mountain bike. And like, even I would do 20 minute tempos on the mountain bike, but I think for me, it was not so much about power. It was riding 20 minutes. Um, it was in, in a lot of ways. Yes. There's the physical component, but I think it was actually doing focus blocks of trying to ride fast and efficient and making, yeah, really just practicing being as efficient as possible or also picking a climb and doing the max or, you know, really high end like VO2 type effort and then finishing it and dropping straight into a single track descent. Mm -hmm. So not only are you practicing the, you're training the the engine with the, with the, the climbing component, you're, I was actually like, I might just do it on a fire trail to the top of the climb, but then it would be the descent. Like, again, you're, you're redlined, yeah. at the top and then you're turning straight into a descent and trying to do like I'd often do it into actually the downhill track um, and I would be on my hard tail without a dropper post at the time and then you're really on the limit trying to see like trying not to make mistakes keep it smooth go as fast as you can Th that is a perfect example of everything that counts can't be counted WKO can't tell you can't prescribe that. And it's one thing my coach Tom is in the UK and 
he's a very technical guy, but a lot of the conversations we've had have been removing away from the algorithms and talking to me as the athlete. It's helped make me a much better coach for sure. Just, you know, it's so easy to want to get sucked into the metrics and, and you can't, you know, there's no way to put a number on that, but that's, that's the real life scenario. That's amazing to hear you say that. I love that. You, so you made the comment when you were young, we're going to jump around a little bit. So let's go back to, if you're riding at seven, what, what do you like as a kid? So you're doing BMX. Do you have siblings? What's kind of your endurance, you know, come up? You mentioned under 23 until 2016. Maybe take us up until there. Were you into other sports? What, what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I was juggled between BMX and soccer. Okay. And I was really into soccer or football, depending on where you're from. Yeah. And that's what all my schoolmates did. And we were mad about it at school. Like I was always super active. Um, yeah. Like go to school early to play soccer for 30 minutes, then go yeah into classes, recess, play soccer again, or maybe cricket, depending on the time of the year or yeah. Aussie rules like AFL football. Okay. Um, but, but typically yeah, it was soccer. And then like, most uh, quite a few of us started to make the re- local regional team, and at times that clashed with BMX. But and are you thinking, then, hey, yeah. I want to be, I want to be an athlete when I grow up? Or you think thinking about you want to be a doctor? What's where's your head at? No, actually, actually, I wasn't competitive until I think I was. I mean, this is actually still super young, um, but one day at school cross country. One year I just like was running with the front group and some of them were my friends and just chatting away and not really taking it too serious. I think that was grade three. So I would have been uh, like nine, nine at the time. And then the next year something clicked. I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I want to win. Um, And then the next year like maybe I went for a few runs with my dad, like three K runs. He would often run after work and I would go along with him. Um, nothing serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this year, yeah, when I was like nine, I decided I wanted to win. And then I did. Um, <laughs> this seems so, to be yeah. a theme in your life. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then like BMX also, when I started, I wasn't that good at all. Like I was, yeah, maybe second last or third last every race. And then I saw the good guys and I was like, yeah, they, they, that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gave it time. And then I was one of those guys and then I was beating them. And then like, I would go to the national champs a couple of times and some other sort of events on mainland Australia, because I'm from Tasmania, the Island down the bottom. Um, and yeah, then though, as I got to maybe 12 or 11 running, then started to be the focus, like cross country running and, um, and athletics and made, again, went to made the state teams for that and went to the national championships. But whenever I would go to the national championships, I was never, yeah, certainly not a contender for the win or medals or even top 10 or anything like that. Um, are you training at yeah. this point or are you just like, Hey, I'm going to go run with my buds. I think, yeah. Like I didn't, I don't know how old I was for BMX. 
I spent a lot of time at the track because it was close to my house. I would go down there by myself after school. Mm-hmm. If there were mates there, then great. But but I would just go there and I would often ride, yeah, with guys that were like almost twice my age mm-hmm. and they would be pushing me to do, do more than what I thought I could. And running, I think I started training with a group when I was maybe 12, but like not super serious, not high volume at all. And still not, not a training program. I would just go to one or two days a week to the track. Um, and I, then I would run by myself, but like now I look back on it. It's no wonder I got all these niggling injuries because in my mind, I would never run less than four minute K's. Like I would go out after school. And if I was running, like I might only run for three K or four or, 8k or maybe the longest I would do back then was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, it was not worth running at all if I was going to run more than four minute k's, which now I know more about running and training. That's just stupid. Like the fastest guys in the world do their like long runs far slower than that. Um, but yeah, I was always, I think I just like doing stuff yeah. like, Whatever it was, I really enjoyed it. And then when I was 13, I got a road bike with the, in mind like to do triathlons. And I'd just gone to high school then in Australia. So, yeah, I was 13. That's when we start high school, 13 to 16. And the school I went to, one of the teachers found out I had a road bike and then he sort of got me into some road races. And, like, I, the first one I did, there was two of us there. Um, and I got dropped pretty soon in and it was like freezing cold <laughs> middle of Tassie winter. I had like Nick's and Jersey cause that was all the kit I had. It was Sonia DeVal kit, which is like a team full of like dopers. And I had, <laughs> I was completely oblivious, like rocking this kit. Um, my road bike actually was 650B with like Shimano Sora, like yes. heavy alloy bike with like an Uskatel Uskadi, um, paint job on it, which I didn't have any clue of at the time. Um, but I think that from there, I I didn't do that much when I was 13. And then I think it was when I got like a new bike after that, when I was 14, I started doing more long rides, no coach, no coach for triathlon. I'd swim with a group, run with mates all by myself and ride with mates when I was, when it was the school holidays, like my training was generally just like, if I had time or on the weekends, I would ride as long as I could somewhere I hadn't been before with a group of mates, we would attack each other at the end, come home, super hunger flat um, because we had no idea about nutrition or eating on the bike. It'd be oh. like maybe the odd muesli bar or banana here and there. And that was about it. Um, but it wasn't until I was sort of six end of like 16 going on 17 that I started going to mountain bike national rounds because my school actually had a mountain bike course, like a seven kilometer course on campus at the school. So that's how I got into mountain biking and did uh, my first race was like a 24 hour four man team with, with schoolmates and we won. And then that sort of got the mountain bike bug. Um, Yeah. That's so so cool. yeah. I played volleyball with a kid who later when I was in college, no, after college realized that he was, he was a category one racer and 
had, I didn't even know bike racing really existed. Like I, I can't remember the first time I heard of the tour de France and I was like, Oh, people were like racing bikes. Cool. And so it's just so cool. To hear. I mean, when I think back, like what if I was riding when I was seven, it's uh, I hope that it becomes more popular in the U S culture at some point, there's definitely little pockets where they have big high school programs, but yeah, we definitely did not have any mountain bike course, mountain bike team, anything. So that's, uh, that's incredible. You said something that really, that sticks out, I think is applicable for everybody to hear, you know, do more than what you think you can when those guys were pushing you. I think that's one thing I try to just tell other athletes where you are right now is totally not where you're going. And that's the beauty of this endurance game, but you just got to give it a little bit of time. And do you still feel like, I mean, you're still young in this. Do you keep sort of surprising yourself with what you can accomplish? And does that have you sort of resetting goals? Like, oh, maybe I thought I'd be a pro. Well, shoot, maybe I might be a really good man. Maybe I should be a world champion. Like, how does that play out at your level? Yeah, I think, um, well, for me, like, I'll stop the moment that I'm not moving forward. And I don't need to be moving forward in anyone else's eyes. It's just about, like, as long as I feel like I'm progressing. And if I'm not, like, my progression hasn't been on paper at least what I would have liked it to have been in terms of progressing to a higher level on a high level road team. And there's maybe a few, like a lot of reasons why that happened has happened largely like due to setbacks um, like, I don't know, glandular fever and, and I guess like COVID and um, yeah, knee injury the first year on the road and, and things like that. Um, but I mean, it sucks, but like, I think I'm lucky because I really, it's taught me how much I like just cycling as a sport, how much I like riding my bike. And I think it's taught me to become more resilient and cope during those hard times. Mm -hmm. And I think actually get the best out of myself when I am, when things are good. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, still like, even now I'd still try and surround myself with people that are better than me to keep raising the ceiling. And yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know, an example, like what I did last summer would have been more in some area than what I would have done the year before. Or if I'd done the same the year before, maybe I couldn't have benefited from it. Like it would have just been too much. Um, That's a really good think, point. Yeah, like last summer, for example, this time last year, actually, I wasn't really riding my bike in November, I looked back just recently at what I was doing this time last year. And I rode my mountain bike a bit when I was having a little bit of a break late last year, um, before I started to build up for the Aussie summer mm-hmm. and not a big break because we hadn't raced because of COVID and I missed the full start of the year with glandular fever. Mm. And then before COVID kicked off, And then, um, so I was having a little break, did a little bit of mountain biking. My seat slipped without knowing and I got a knee injury. Um, And like I I ignored it at first because I thought, oh, it's a niggle, no problem. And then flared up. It it got better and it was all fine, like very easily treatable. But I missed a bit of time till the inflammation settled. And yeah, I had to start with like two times 10 minutes on the trainer a day, then 20, then 30 and build up. And plus just complete rest. And then I think in, yeah, in November, my training was like Monday to Friday. So five gym sessions a week for the month of November. I'd already been in the gym for the majority for maybe 
three or four months at least before that two to three times a week because I wasn't traveling racing or anything. So I was really focusing on a solid strength block. Mm-hmm. So I had the the base to, to do that much load in the gym mm-hmm. and it was targeted like lifting as heavy as I could, at least on three of those days. Um, and then swimming, uh, I was trying to do some aerobic work and a lot of it was just with the pool boy. So no kicking, at least in the beginning. Um, and then I think my first week of training was like on the bike proper week was maybe the week before or of Christmas. And it was not really any stress because when I had the knee injury, I decided, okay, I'm not, I'm just building up for the European mm-hmm. um, season. I'm going to skip the Aussie nationals, even though it's a month later than normal. It was, I think the first or second weekend of February. Um, and then two weeks out, I actually decided to do it because I watched like the watered down, like domestic version of tour down under was on TV and I watched that and had massive FOMO. And then two weeks out from nationals, I thought, Oh, you know what? Like I'm in Oz. Like I watched it. I couldn't even stay awake to watch it the year before because I had glandular fever and I was just so tired. Um, so I was like, no, I, I'll at least go along. Like I want to race. It will be fun. No pressure on the result. Um, and then I went and finished third in a photo finish. So, and my training was not textbook. I didn't have, yeah, like the week of say Christmas, I started riding November. I wasn't really even on the bike. Um, I was doing work. Like I think one week I swam close to 40 kilometers. Um, and then when I got back on the bike, I think I did like 18 hours, 20 hours, and then basically just did four 30 hour weeks. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a, I was literally just riding my bike. I didn't feel like I was training. It was like training for free because it was fun. Like I would ride up to the lakes, like the Highlands in Tassie. Cause my dad was up there like trout fishing camp the night and then ride back home. And like, maybe I'd hit lap on a couple of the climbs cause they were cool climbs I'd never done before. And, I don't know. I just, it's, it's just fun going a bit fast. And then I was training a lot. I'm from the South of Tasmania in Hobart and Richie Port lives in Launceston, which is, uh, it's about a two hour drive and I have family up there and often go up there to stay with them in the summer. So I was training quite a lot with him and yeah, a lot of the time the riding we were doing was, I guess like, yeah, quite unstructured. Like we would do some, there's just one loop pretty much that he does on repeat when he's at home in the Aussie summer. And yeah, most, we would just do that more or less on repeat. And as we got fitter, we would start doing like, first it would be the like one 45 minute chop off home. Then as we got fitter, it'd be like include a 45 minute chop before that. Or like, and then maybe he would do some efforts of his own on the climb, on the two main climbs. And then maybe some more guys would come out some days and, or sometimes it would just be us two and we'd start chopping off from one point and then like, yeah, two hours later, we're still chopping off, um, just doing like one minute turns or something. Um, and then like, I don't know, one weekend I went after a few days with him, I went home after the ride because I had a wedding, went to the wedding, went home 
and then woke up the next morning and rode back to Launceston um, because I couldn't be bothered driving back up there. Um, <laughs> and that was, so yeah, that was like maybe a bit over six, six or seven hours. And then the next did another two days with him and then rode back home again. Um, so it was like, yeah, it was a lot of volume with a lot of unstructured intensity, but it was what I like riding. Like it wasn't, um, yeah, there was a lot of work being put in, but it, it didn't feel like it. Right. Um, yeah. When you say chopping off, is that just riding hard, medium? What, what does that term mean? Yeah. Full, I, I could full gas? Like, no, I wouldn't say full gas. Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes we're doing it for like two and up, two, two and a half hours. So, but as you get fitter, the intensity you can sustain for that long gets higher. Okay. Um, so like in, in the beginning, it might just be like when you're on the front, you're doing around 250 watts. But then by the end, it might be more like 350 or something. Okay. And maybe maybe like someone there decides they want to go for a Strava for a bit of fun. So <laughs> then maybe every, whoever's there on the day rally to like help that person get it or something. But usually well, like one day... Richie wanted to go for his best time up the sidling this climb on the loop. Um, but I think, I think it was this day we don't, he, it was maybe just him and I, or maybe this was the day I went for it. I can't remember, but we chopped off for like, or swapped off, you know, for like 30, no, 45 minutes or an hour, maybe an hour before it, before we did the effort. Um, like into the base of the climb. Okay. And then he started going sort of pacing my effort and, yeah, so... Did you get the KOM? I, I, I got second, but it was too Richie, so... Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, I've, I've heard, I think day, I've heard of this Richie guy, so he sounds pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, but, but I, yeah, like, the best thing for me for that, it was, like, it was really good to spend that time training with someone at that level because, yeah, I felt like that took me up another level. Mm-hmm. um yeah like I, I there's always room to get better oh, and 100%. i think like maybe he's at towards the end of his career now but i feel like in a lot of areas he's still i mean like yeah the day after i did that time he went quicker again and he's been doing that loop like his whole career um so yeah i think there's always there's always room for improvement there's always room for improvement. And I think the thing that catches people is that it's not this just linear progression. It's that stair step. And when people, I was in it at one point and my friend was like, you done trying to get better? And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of where I'm at. And then we both looked at each other. I was like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said. And it, that just conversation really re-motivated me. And that was six years ago, maybe. I can't remember now. But yeah, it's it's funny to hear you talk about the unstructured training and you know training RPE on the mountain bike. So you're definitely into that the athlete feeling the training and going with how the body's feeling and under, learning when to push, when to pull back. Uh, it's so much more than just the numbers. I think that is some, sometimes that's lost because we're getting so much more technology to help us with numbers. But I, I, it's just not there, um, or it's not I, as complete as being one with the bike and the training. I think exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. I still very much look 
I guess, at, at the numbers, like a large number of numbers. But I think, I think in some ways you need like the maturity as a cycler in cycling to, if you're going to look at a heap of numbers, you need to get, not get caught up in them and, or you need to see them for what they are. Like, I think the main focus is just like, if someone's getting into it is to keep it like really simple, like, um, first of all, just obsess about being fast, like just focusing on riding your bike faster, whether that's on the mountain bike and improving like your skills and efficiency or whether it's on the road, like thinking about being fast, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, in all areas, like regardless of what type, even if you think you're a climber or whatever, you like pigeoning how yourself to a particular type of rider, I think, yeah, and and unless you're on like one of the biggest teams in the world and and you're expected to get results at a type of race, then like it doesn't matter what you are. Like just be a bike racer. Like if you think you're if you're a handy climber, there's no reason you can't do sprints in training, um, or like practice riding. You know, in an aero position on your road bike for mm-hmm. when to be more efficient or whatever. Yeah. Well, especially because if you're at an event and it's one, I don't know if I've actually ever verbalized this, but I, in thinking of going fast and being fast, if you're in a race and you're, maybe you're attacking off the front or you're in a small group. And if you're thinking, holy crap, I'm going fast or we're going fast, you know, then, Hey, we've got a chance to stay away. You need to know, do you feel fast? Sometimes you attack and you just, you don't have that extra overdrive that day. It's like, damn, I'm not really that fast right now. I need to save these matches. And it just helps you understand where you are in the group that day. And every day is not going to be the same. Every event's not going to be the same. The weather's not always going to be like, and just understanding how, how you are at that point in time is that self-awareness, I guess, is really important to getting results and to doing your best uh, each event. That's true. But I also don't think you have to feel good to get a good result. Like a lot of the times I've had my best results, I've felt terrible from the start. Like really I've not. Yeah. Like at road nationals, I felt terrible pretty much the whole race. Um, so what are you thinking then? How is you, are you just tell me about that? Uh, it's just, I'm like, Oh, well, uh, I don't feel good at the moment. Like the race is five hours. It doesn't matter how I feel in the first hour. Like, just it's going to stop me wasting unnecessary energy trying to close things I don't need to um, and just turn it into a positive like of, oh, well, that can occupy my mind for the first part of the race. Like, yeah, I don't feel great. Like that, like that's okay. As long as I know that I've done the work. So like I shouldn't get dropped at a time you know, like I just need to be good at maybe it changes the way how you how you approach the race. Yeah. Um but like rate by road races can be won so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um so like you're never really out of it until until it's the last minute. I mean it depends. Like but yeah I think if you if, if you're just waiting for that day that you have magic legs and you can't feel the chain, well, I mean, those days only come around so often. So right. I think you just have to get used to that's a yeah, great to not feeling great. Yeah. You know, that's very, uh, I thought it was, that's a really interesting point that you make. And now I'm thinking Stephen Bassett from rally was on here and he was like, 
people talk about these magical days where like everything aligned. He's like, no, he's like, when you win, it's because only 25% of your day went wrong. And the other guys had like 35% went wrong. He's like, it's there's so many variables. It's never perfect. Like I made every right move and my nutrition was perfect. So that's, you say it in a different way, but that's actually a really good thing to hear. I haven't heard that since him. I like that. It, and you said it, make it positive. Yeah. Like actually something else from that race was, uh, I was on a pretty new bike and I don't know how because I checked it, but my, the two stem bolts at the, um, yeah, like at the fork sort of uh, had come loose. So on the faceplate? Yeah. Uh, no, not on the faceplate. The other two bolts back behind. Uh, oh, okay. The steer, on the steer, steer tube. tube. Yeah. Yeah. So they were coming loose and it was pretty much all left-hand turns on the road national circuit for Australia. So when I'd turn the corner, I guess the force, my bars kept twisting more and more. God. And at, at first I was like, no problem. Like actually again, oh, well, it gives me something to focus about, focus on. Um, but the rate, it's not really a race. It's, the race never stopped. Like it was the fastest that had completed that course. Um yeah, every time up the climb, it was firm and it wasn't a, it's not a course that's really that conducive to going back to the car because there's not a lot of long straights. There's a bit of a like downhill into a tight corner through so a lot like corners through a university, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I was an individual, at the, I didn't have a anyone in a team car other than my old team who would have supported me, but I think they were further back in the convoy. Um, so I think they, I, I went to the back of the bunch when I finally decided I need to fix this because it got so bad that I thought if I do happen to get to the front of the race, uh, if I happen to get to the finish in the front, I don't know if I'll be able to sprint like this. And if it gets anywhere worse, I won't be able to ride. So I put went to the back of the bunch, Put it was a reduced group, not many guys left, put my hand up, new, SRAM neutral, motorbike came up to me and I just asked for a multi-tool and they gave it to me and I just tightened it in the position that it was, um, yeah, like on the go. And, um, yeah, so, like, there's actually a video of the last time up the climb of me responding to an attack and, like, I'm riding a big gear and it just looks horrible. But, like, you can't really – maybe you can see, I don't know, but it was partly because my handlebars were twisted that so like I just looked so bad on the bike, but oh. um, yeah, I think I and, and like another race I can think of of something like that was Tour of Taiwan where my Di two cables, I think when the when the bike was built they didn't put a kink in the cable, so whenever I hit a speed bump or like any kind of bump, the cable would pop out and I wouldn't have gears, and. It happened on the Queen stage and there was a climb quite early and I'd stopped twice and the mechanic had pushed it back in and then it hit another bump and then had to do the first KOM uh, with just the front two chain rings. And thankfully, I think I was in an okay gear on the back that I could make it work. Like I was either spinning <laughs> about a bit dude. much or grinding a bit much. And it was standard like the breakaways trying to go. Um, and then over the top, it was like, really technical quite narrow roads super fast and in the end i just decided i have to change bikes 
So I hopped on the spare bike and then just committed to that to the rest of the stage. It didn't, I think it had like deeper, heavier wheels and it had Ultegra and not Durace. But in the end, I was like, oh, well, I'll save energy with the deeper wheels like before the 10K climb and like the climb's pretty quick. I'd done it the year before and yeah. And then I got again, like, yeah, fourth in a reduced bunch sprint in a photo finish um so like yeah just because things happen as well like okay i didn't win on either of those days but like they weren't they weren't bad days and those things happening didn't prevent me from having a chance at winning so yeah making do with what you had and figuring it out on the go yeah exactly what's So I actually, now I'm really curious, what do you think is a small thing that's had a big impact on your success as a cyclist? I think like race, at least in recent like times, uh, fueling like on the bike in races and, and actually maybe even getting a better understanding of like how much to eat and when, um, like at times maybe overall how much I was eating might've been okay, but like I might've gone periods where I like just massively underfueled and then like made up for it later or. Uh, Going on that a little bit. Like yeah. when would you think you were underfueling? What was the scenario? Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe not eating a particularly big, not understanding how much I would burn on say a five hour ride doing a five hour ride, eating like one or two bars, getting through the ride. Okay. Um, maybe eating just like a normal lunch when I got home, but then being ravenously hungry and like loading up on like cereal or something before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it just creates more stre- unnecessary stress on your body. I think once you realize actually, no, if you're training properly, you, you get a, you're burning a lot of energy. And also the more you fuel that, the more, the higher your output can be. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're trying, like obviously weight is super important in, in a lot of aspects of cycling, but like power is more important and being healthy is more important and creating small deficits over a period of time anyway is a far more, um sustainable and healthy way that's conducive to actually producing a good performance when it matters rather than just trying to like dump a heap of weight quickly to be at that goal weight like the goal weight's only good if you can get there healthy um feeling how you were before you started trying to lose it Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think and then like yeah just uh, fueling on the bike like i mean road cycling it's no one cares so much what your peak powers can do. That's not what wins your race. It's like what percentage of your peak power can you do after like two and a half, three, four, five thousand kilojoules, like at the end of four or five hours. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what what matters. And if you're not fueling well, yeah, maybe it's still possible to do that, but like it's certainly not going to be possible to do that like week in, week out or throughout the duration of a season. It's awesome. I always use the, uh, it's a little bit of a hyperbole of an example, but like the, you know, you get a guy who has a huge sprint mass. Hey man, I can do 1500 Watts. I'm an amateur. I can't win any of these races. It's like, 
well, man, at the end of the two and a half hour race, you're totally exhausted. You have no aerobic fitness. You don't have that sprint. That, that sprint that you're doing 20 minutes in fresh doesn't count for what you're trying to do. So yeah, it's, I, but I, we had a guy, Cody Stevenson, just even asking the guy from training peaks, how do you, how do we have athletes understand repeatability and that ability of doing like 95% of a max later? It's hard to put a metric on it. And so it comes back to the conversation earlier today of, you know, you can't always just go by these metrics that we have. There's these other things you need to more think about. And, and I think even asking yourself, how do you feel at the end of three hours? You, you can look at the numbers that you're used to seeing. Do you have anywhere near close to that? Or are you just shattered? And then kind of reinvent your wheel that way. So to hear you say that is, I think, really valuable for people to hear. What do you think was, and maybe across, let's say either mountain biking or road racing, what do you think was one of your main limiters and how did you go about working on that? I think, uh, I think when I was younger, I was so driven. Uh, well, I, that hasn't changed, but I was so driven <laughs> to be, be, to be better and the best that I could that like every day, like I felt like what I did this day, like today, it would make me better tomorrow. But like, yeah, you can't, you don't, the changes don't happen overnight. It's more about consistency and you might. So like I would be trying to just do the maximum. I'd be coming home shattered all the time, mm. pushing. I don't know. Maybe I could have just taken a day off here, but instead I wouldn't, I'd still try and push through it. And rather than thinking about the long term, and like for sure, the more you do that, the higher your tolerance is, for for any workload but if you want to be good in for that particular time it's not it's not so much the best approach so i think just saying things yeah maybe a bit more long-term perspective that's probably been one yeah one big thing i guess that i've come to realize i suppose i love that we're going to actually before we post your podcast, Andy, one of our new, newest coaches, he said the exact same thing of having too much motivation where it gets you into trouble, where you're like, I just got to do more. I just, I'm ready. Let's do more. And he's like, oh, shoot, it was too much or it was the wrong time. And so that's a great, I think a lot of us, it's the endurance sports attracts a certain personality. And so I think a lot of athletes will be able to resonate with your thoughts on that. What's, um, so, and then I guess the last training question that I have, I know uh, this hour has gone by super fast. What's, do you cross train or lift at all? And do you do that throughout the year or is that just a specific portion of the year? And then I guess the follow-up was, is it more mountain bike or road specific? Uh, I would, yeah, since like 2015, I've been, I would do periods in the gym, particularly when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And through like the local, like the state institute, of, the Tasmanian Institute of Sport. So through them, I have access to a good S&C coach and would do targeted periods in the gym. Sometimes it was just more for like um, maintenance and like core okay. stability, injury prevention, general health and well-being, kind of like bone density, I guess, all those kind of things. But like last year where there was such a long period without racing due to COVID, then it became about strength and trying to get stronger. Um, if I put on a bit of muscle or weight at that time, it, it was not a non-issue. It was a non, I, I, am I, what I did on the bike factored in 
the gym because I had the luxury of not, I could have the trade-off in performance on the bike for a little bit. If I went out and I was a bit shattered from the gym, it was, it was not an issue. Um, and I didn't have to rush things. So I've certainly done a lot of time over the years in the gym for sure. Um, and then what's your favorite routine? What's your favorite? Like you had to go in, you had time for four lifts and granted this might change, but what do you really like doing in the gym? I would say I would probably, yeah, like I would start with like maybe it depends. The more I do it, the more I progress what I include, progress what I include. Like at the moment, if I went to the gym, having not been for a while, my warm up would probably include three or max four, like some sort of activation, general movement things, a few different movement patterns. And then the lifts I would do would be like three sets of um, probably 10 in the beginning trap bar deadlifts just to get used to the movement. And again, nothing crazy with the weight at all. Mm -hmm. And as I spent more time in the reps would go down and the weight would go up and then maybe it would become four sets as well. So, but, but for me, I would say that movement pattern of a trap bar deadlift is one that I'm most comfortable with. So it's one that I can most get, I guess the most strength gains out of. Whereas with squats, I do like doing them and it's something I'd like to get better at, but, I've always felt that range of movement doesn't come quite so naturally to me. Um, and then I do really like straight leg dead, like, or single leg um, deadlifts, but man, the, uh, if you haven't done them for a while, or even if you skip like a week, your hamstrings just get <laughs> yeah. incredibly sore. So I like doing them once I've been doing them for a while, but I hate starting doing them again. <laughs> That's fair. And then I always try and include at least one single leg um, exercise. Like uh, this varies, but like, yeah, when I was doing them a lot in the gym, a lot, I would have a weight vest on. I can't remember with how much weight. And then also holding one dumbbell to my chest as well. And my rear foot would be elevated on mm. Usually I would actually do it on a squat rack with a, like a really tough band across between the squat rack and have my foot elevated on that. Um, maybe then because of that, you have to engage your core a bit more. And also actually I found it more comfortable than having it up on. Um, I don't like yeah, even the bench. specific. Yeah. No, the bench is terrible. You can get a specific thing for single leg squats, but okay. even that. Even that I didn't like the feeling of. Plus, it on was the nice top of your foot, you're of... talking about. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Somebody looked at me when I said I said that to somebody and looked at me like I had five heads, and I was like, "Am I doing this wrong?" I'm like, "This that does not feel good to me." And so no, I no. still like wiggle around with it. I'm like, it looks awkward, but huh, I have to consider that. Though that's tough, man, with a weight yeah. vest and a. I mean, you're probably stronger than I am, but it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I just did a couple days ago. I thought I could do 60 pounds and by I was doing 10 reps and by like eight, I was like, I'm, I'm pushing too hard. This is not, I'm like really trying. This is not the point of the exercise. I think I went down to two twenties, but man, I need to get yeah. stronger. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, yeah, like, like that was last year when I was in the gym a lot and I have a history of doing like, yeah, I guess that 
particular exercise and that kind of thing. Like I was genuinely trying to get stronger and increasing what I could do, how much I could lift. Um, have yeah, you ever week done, in, week out. have you ever done goblet squats? And the only reason I ask is I started doing those on a lighter day away from normal squats with a, you know, a barbell and it, I don't know what it was. Some, my form got so much better from that. And I don't know if it was the lighter weight was helping me work, like just make the neural connection or something. My buddy was in these like, man, have you been working on your form? I'm like, no, but oddly, it's weird that you say that I've been squ- doing random goblet squats and I was going lower than normally. Like I was going all the way down. There was something in there, like something clicked in my body. And I even noticed it when I do squats. Now I'm like, wow, it looks so much more like I'm doing it correctly maybe it's just experience but if it feels weird maybe that's Uh, something to mess around with goblet squats i think maybe i would do them with even no weight okay warm up as like opening up the range of movement or something i don't think i've ever done them weighted i don't think maybe that's what it did for me man okay last question for you i appreciate you uh hanging around for an hour here what no problem we have a lot of younger cyclists that tune in and especially when they see your name, the, you know, it's a tough career to get into. You, you have to be an amazing athlete, obviously, but maybe there's a pearl out there, a little tip of wisdom. What do you think it takes in 2022 to become a pro cyclist? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're, if you're younger and you're aspiring to get there, if you're motivated and driven, then like things only compound. like your passion for it. You do it more, the more you practice it, you get better. But I'd say the biggest thing is trying to surround yourself with people that are better than you and pushing to get to their standard. And I think the more you surround yourself with people than with you better, like you just keep raising your own ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be so much worried on, yeah, like particularly now what power number, this guy does and he's the same age or that kind of thing. Like just focus on you and focus on getting yourself better, particularly if they're a younger athlete, everyone, everyone's development is different. Like when I was, I didn't even grow till I was sort of, yeah, I didn't even start growing really till properly till I was maybe 18. Um, Wow. So yeah, everyone's, everyone's development's different. And, um, but I think the overriding thing, like the, the reason I'm still riding, I'm not where I want to be now. Um, but I'm still riding because I've realized how much I genuinely enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, that hunger to get better or that desire, it sort of, you know, it hasn't dampened in any way. So, I think you're going to be okay if, if, if you, uh, if you really enjoy it and, yeah, there's times, of course, to be regimented, but um, I think you can't undervalue the the enjoyment factor because when you enjoy something, you're able to knuckle down more anyway and do things properly. When you love, when you love the dirt, when you love the hard work, that's when you're going to find the most success along the journey. It's not just the you got to love the riding, not just the accolades from coming in first. And that's a yeah. that's a phenomenal ending point because it is tougher especially with the younger generation of strava and i've even talked to you know when we're racing around locally i'll talk to someone like well dude i see you on strava i can't do those watts i'm like those watts i'm like number one 
I'm 81 kgs. Ignore the watts, but focus on your watts and focus on when you're going to yeah. implement those watts in the race. Don't look at what I'm doing on Tuesday morning. That has nothing to do yeah. with Saturday. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I do think Strava's good for that because it does mean that young kids can see the level and they can have they realize that, okay, it's humanly possible to go this quick up their local climb because that's what the best guy in the area has done or, or whatever. But it depends though also because they could be comparing their effort on a climb thinking it's no way I could do this, but they don't know that a race has gone up there and they've that, done that time in the peloton with race wheels in and a tailwind or something. So you also can't get disheartened by it. But, um, those are always funny ones when you full gas something you're like wow two minutes faster huh <laughs> it's a little depressing yeah. at times yeah exactly scott thank you man what's what's next for you over the next uh few months as people follow along with you on social media what should they see popping up what's on your what's going on uh so i mean yeah i've been living in france uh which is where my team's based at the moment well yeah, that I'm on. And uh, now I'm in Girona staying with some friends for the winter. Cool. And I'll have a tr- team training camp here late Jan or mid January. Okay. And then late January, early February, I'll head back up to France to start the season. Um, so, yeah, I'll just be here putting in, yeah, really just the base over the winter, a little bit of gym, and also, yeah, enjoying catching up with some mates because the place I live in France, there's not a, not a whole lot of the population actually isn't that big. It's a nice place, but there's not a lot going on. So it's, where is that? Yeah. Uh, Borg and Bresse. So it's okay. like pretty much smack bang in the center of France, just above, just North of Lyon. Okay. Oh, my sister lived in Lyon, small world. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. Scott. Thank you, man. We're so appreciative of you taking the time to share your knowledge It's going to be great when to post and Hopefully uh, we get to see you step on the podium first spot next year at some big races and we'll definitely be rooting for you. Thanks a lot, Brennan. Yeah. Pleasure to be on the podcast and uh, yeah, fingers crossed. All right, mate. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Beauty. Cheers. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate.